I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be great to get back to the days of the early church, to that first church? Wouldn't it be fantastic because of the way that they lived? They lived, they shared everything, they had everything in common, nobody was in need, they gathered in people's homes. What a wonderful, wonderful time. Anyone ever heard that suggestion that we should try and get back to an Acts 2 type church? Was it just they me? Were persecuted as well. Oh, I know. Yeah. They were indeed persecuted. They had a pretty rough time. I've, the last essay that I've got to write before the end of May for one set of deadlines, it's not my last one of the year, unfortunately, but it's the last one before the deadline in May, is on the early church. Um, and uh, not just the church in the kind of New Testament, but actually what happened next, the first few hundred years of the church. And the essay that I'm writing on is about persecution. Because they were persecuted. Um, so it's all well and good saying, well, wasn't it lovely? It sounds great, doesn't it? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe. That's obviously the, the image that I have of you as I look out, as I preach, that you're all filled with awe at my teaching. There's no need to laugh quite so loudly, Rosemary. Thanks very much. There we go. I feel, feel encouraged already this morning. There we go. Um, and all believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and gave to anyone as they had need. Now, uh, people often like that bit if they're not doing so well, and they like the idea of some people selling their stuff to help out, because if you're in need, it'd be nice if someone sold some stuff and helped you out and did all that. But when you're the one that's got some things, and somebody else is in need, it's much harder to be, oh, ooh, you want me to sell what? Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't mind giving a little bit away, but... But they sold, and nobody had need. And they broke bread together and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they also went and they met on the temple court. So there was two things that would go on that I want to pick up um, in um, this looking at this series on um, missional church. Because yes, there was a sense that they gathered together. They gathered together in one another's homes. They didn't have a building like this. They would meet together in each other's homes. So if we were to say, oh, we want to go back to the way that the church was in the early days, when the disciples first set out and they were doing church, what we should do, we should go back, and therefore we should all meet in one another's homes. Okay, so I figure, Rosemary and George, we'll come to you, come to you tomorrow. Is that all right? Yeah. Right, Rosemary said yes. So we're all at Rosemary's tomorrow, <laughs> and then, well, we might not all fit in, so we might need to go to someone else's. Let's go to Joanne's. We'll split it between the two. I'm just deciding for you. I'm not going to give you a choice. So some folks will go to Joanne's. That'll be all right. And then we'll have, um, then maybe on some different occasions, we'll, might go, well, we'll go to Peter's because he's a student. Who knows what it's like there? I don't want to be judgmental, Peter, but I remember what my student house was like. So mm, maybe we'll skip that one. We'll go to someone else's. Yeah, well, probably was. Fair enough. But so they gathered together. Now, obviously, the church grew. I don't know how long they were meeting together in one another's homes for and what that looked like because... Just before this, we read that 3,000 were added to their numbers. Well, I don't know how that worked in terms of meeting in one another's houses. But what they also did was they met in the temple court. So what happened with the um, church? It wasn't a sense that they were meeting together in a church. And we might think, I've heard comparisons between the church and the temple, or church and the synagogue. Well, it wasn't really like that, because the temple was huge. The, it, the temple wasn't just one building that you would meet in. The temple was a series of different structures. 
and the temple courts were huge. It was a vast area. I don't know if anyone's been to um, the Holy Land. I haven't, so I'm speaking of my knowledge, what I've been told from tutors or read in books or seen pictures of. But it's a big area. It's not, it wasn't just, here is the temple. And it wasn't like Buckingham Palace, where there's a Buckingham Palace and that's it. I guess it, in, in some ways it would be like the grounds of Buckingham Palace or something like that. So they would have, but they would have met inside the temple courts. And that was a public space. The reason they were there is because that's where everybody else was. That's where life happened. On the way in and out of the temple, um, or at least the temple courts, there have been people buying and selling things, because where's the best place to buy and sell things? Where people are going. The reason that we have shops on the high street is because that was the high street, and people passed through it. And so people, because it's a main route in, we get more shops as you go closer, as you go up towards Uxbridge, there's various shops along the way. Why are they good places to have shops? Because you are on your way to kind of the main centre around here. You find it on the way into lots of cities and places, that all the kind of roads that kind of point inwards, that's where you get little businesses and petrol stations and all that sort of thing. Why? Because that's where you're going. That's where people are. And so, the temple courts was the place that the disciples would go, and those that would come to faith, because that was where the people were. How were they going to spread and share the gospel if they just met in each other's homes. Well, they were. If we just went to each other's homes, if we all just went to Rosemary's and then to Joanne's and then maybe to, I don't know, Joe and Yemi's, I'm on for the jollof rice, that kind of thing. A bit spicy. Some of you might not be so keen on spicy food. You'd perhaps go somewhere else. I don't know. But if we just keep to ourselves, then at some point, actually... The gospel can go no further because it's stuck within just four walls of one another's homes. Or if we just keep it within these four walls, the gospel doesn't get heard because it's stuck within here. And so, what the early church did, and has happened throughout history, is people would go out. We have a, a great heritage in this country of missionaries going to different parts of the world. It's fabulous. And you can read about their stories and their testimonies going off to Asia, to Africa, to South America. And it's interesting now because what's happened is people are coming from those countries and they're coming to the UK and they're going, what's what's happened? What's, What's going on? We thought you were like this great missionary sending hub that the churches would be full and it would be a, a great place to come and to learn from you and to worship. Oh. What happened? I've heard from um, African brothers and sisters who've come to the UK and they are just shocked by the state of the church in this country. Now I think there's some good things that are going on as well. But if you read about the state of the church in the UK, you'll generally read that it's in decline. We're doing okay. We're doing quite well, because actually, in the last couple of years, numbers have gone up a little bit. We averaged 23, now we average about 29 on a Sunday morning for adults. We're doing all right. We're on a slight increase. 
But we don't go out. We don't go out. Now, if you were to go to an African church or a Pentecostal church, they are in, they're increasing. There was an event on, I think it was last Friday, 29th anyway, so a week ago, over in the XL Centre. And they had thousands of people at a big Pentecostal event. Because the charismatic and Pentecostal churches are increasing in this country. There's talk of revival, but we are not part of it at the moment. The church has always been, it's a bit like a heartbeat, if you like. There's an in and an out, a pumping. Like the sea going in and out. An ebb and flow. There should be a coming in and a going out. The New Testament church that is in Acts, they gathered together and then they went out. They would gather together and then they would go out. We have a responsibility to come in. And after being in, being together where we can support and encourage and build one another up, with the enthusiasm, the excitement that comes with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We want to go out. We want to share what it is that we know of the good news. But that's only one image of the church. Another image of the church is that of a body. Ephesians 5 talks of a body. Oh no, Ephesians 5 is the bride. Sorry, we'll come to the body in a minute. Ephesians 5 talks of a bride. The church has a bride. Uh, 21. Right, there we go. Ephesians 5, 21. Onward says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his church. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. There's all sorts of things that could be said about that passage. We looked at Ephesians a few months ago, so I'm not going to go into the wives and husbands bit. But there's an interesting image there. There's two. It talks about the church being part of Christ's body, but also being the bride of Christ, which is a funny illustration, and you try and imagine how we're all kind of stuck together to make a giant woman or something. Um, It doesn't work like that. That's not what the Bible is getting at. What it's saying is Christ, Christ Jesus, loves the church, his people, so much that he's willing to submit, to lay down his life for the sake of others. And we get to be part of that church. And there's some wonderful images about a bride, because when a bride is preparing for her wedding day and 
I don't think a huge amount's changed over the years. As much as we might want to say there's kind of equality and things are different, there's still lots of things that are the same. Because a man really would like to give everything to his wife. So that on their wedding day, we want our wives to just be radiant and beautiful. Now we think they are anyway. However, when the wife says, I'd like to find a dress, we want to say, we want you to find the best dress that we can afford. And we feel a bit disappointed when, you know, it's like, well, I found one and I can't really afford it. And I want to go, I want you to be able to have it. And maybe we want to buy our, our wives the nicest jewelry. Not because we want to show off, but because we want to, I love you and I want you to have the best. Christ wants the best for us. He wants to give us those things so that we might be pure and blameless and radiant in his sight. Christ was willing to lay down his life for the church and and as the bride of Christ. It says in Genesis, uh, uh, a woman leaves her father and joins her husband and they become one body. So in the coming together of the bride and the husband, they become one. Which is why this passage is able to talk about being part of the body of Christ and being the bride of Christ at the same time as the two come together. There's a joining. And so we are filled with the Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit. And so we as a church should be able to see ourselves as that bride, pure and blameless, for whom Christ wishes to lay There's another image of the church. There's plenty of images in the church um, throughout Scripture. The final one that I want to point out is in Romans. And it's Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Beginning at verse 3, which says, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We are part of a body. The final image that I want to share with us this morning part of one body, not of a whole bunch of different bodies, but one body, a single body, but also a living body. This isn't something that has passed away, as many might suggest it has. Now I'm reading a book at the moment, it's got the wonderful title called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. 
And you might think, why on earth would Rich choose to read a book like that? <laughs> well, it's fascinating because in order to find out what causes people to die, if you're a biologist or a scientist, I don't know if any of you watch those programmes like Silent Witness and things like that, when they're trying to work out what was the cause of somebody's death. Was it an illness? Was it that they did something to hurt themselves? Did somebody do something to hurt them? Was it murder? Was it an accident? What happened? What was going on? Now, and, and you see all sorts of scenarios unfold, and you're thinking, oh, I think it was him that did it, and it's always the person that you least expect, and all the rest of it. But in order to find out why somebody died, you do an autopsy. And then, in some of those cases, not the police ones necessarily, but the ones that are about disease, that's a way that they can find out, well, actually, how can we support those people who might be living with a particular condition? What is it that we could do? Is there something that we should have cut out at an earlier stage? Is there some treatment that we could give to it? How can we help out? Now, I'm, I don't want to suggest that we are in a dying church before you jump to that conclusion. Okay? I'm not reading the book for that reason. Um, but it's interesting. And it's to go, well, actually, okay, so what are the signs that cause... So this is the book's talking about those churches that have come to an end. For some reason, they've closed down and they aren't open all the doors are locked and you can't go into the building. What's happened to the people? They're probably at other churches or maybe they're not anymore. I don't know. Um, but uh, these are some of the causes. Okay? And this, as I read through this, I thought, golly, we need to learn from this. Because if we are to be alive, if we are to remain alive, then we might need to deal with some of these issues. So I'm going to, I'm going to, there's ten, okay? Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you think this is us, because that could be worrying. Uh, I don't want you to raise your hand definitely if you like, tick a box for all ten. But you might recognise some of these things. It says, slow erosion is the worst type of decline for churches, because the members have no sense of urgency to change. Number two, the most pervasive and common thread of our autopsies was that the deceased churches lived for a long time with the past as a hero. Three, more than any one item, these dying churches focus on their own needs instead of others. Four, others first equals life. Me first equals death. Five. Dying churches are concerned with self-preservation. Six. The autopsy revealed that at some point in its history, the church stopped reaching and caring for the community. Seven. In dying churches, the last expenditures to be reduced are those that keep the members most comfortable. Eight. You don't have to be broke to be dying. It's not a matter of how much you have. It's what you do with your money. Or what your attitude is about the money. Nine. Members of the dying churches really didn't want growth unless that growth met their preferences and allowed them to remain comfortable. 10. When the church is engaged in meaningful prayer, 
it becomes both the cause and the result of greater church health. I don't know how many of them you ticked off and went, that sounds like us. Or, oh no, that doesn't sound like us, but it sounds like that church down the road or somewhere else that I know of. The two that struck me in particular were about life. Where is it? Others first equals life. And when the church is engaged in meaningful prayer, it becomes the cause and the result of greater church growth. There's two things that I would love to see from Usley Baptist Church. One would be a deepening of our prayer life. I would love to see that. It was, it was on the profile before I came here. That we'd like to deepen our prayer life. And I, I don't, we've tried a few things. I don't know that we've found that way through yet. And I'd love to do that. And I'd also love for us to find ways that we could give, that we can think about the world outside here, the world through those doors, the people that come into Cornerstone, not for us to just simply close the door and go, well, that's nice, that happens the rest of the week. But how do we? How do we not just use the services of Cornerstone, but bless Cornerstone? How do we... Not just think about the stuff, but how do we get to know and bless the people that come through those doors? When are the times that we go and meet folk that walk in and say, we'd like to offer you prayer? When are the times that we, around in the high street, being present, being that living body? I wonder if we were to walk around and do a survey around the streets of Usley and say, oh, do you know where Usley Baptist Church is? And people might know where the building is. I'd expect them to talk about building rather than the people, because that's how people see church, as a building. That would make sense. But I know that in the past, people have referred, they thought that this was a monastery. They looked on and they thought it was a monastery, because there was no life, or little, or the way that it was presented. And I wonder what, what the view is now. If I ask people, I have spoken to people, I was speaking to someone the other day, and they said, Where's Unity? Where is the Baptist church? I know where the Anglican church is, because I always see the kids coming out of school. Where's the Baptist church? The only way people are going to know about the Baptist church, and I don't mind whether they know about the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Anglican church. It'd be nice if they knew about us. I want them to know about Jesus. And the only way that anyone knows about Jesus is if we don't just gather, but we are sent. And we gather, and we send, and when we gather, we bring people with us, and when we go, we go to the people that need Jesus. And when we go, we go with the radiance of the Bride of Christ. And that people don't just see a dead body, but they see a living, breathing, active church as the body of Christ. That is my hope. That's my dream for usually. And I hope that it's your hope and dream as well.